I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking... But I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> I'm feeling, do you know what? I'm feeling free. I'm feeling free today. The Jake Daniels video, we'll come to that. I saw that. I thought, well played. Well played, Jake. Well played, everyone. Well played, Jake Daniels. Well played, his family. Well played, his friends. Well played, Blackpool FC. But yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. But how are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, man. Excellent. All things considered. I was going to say, I was literally going to say all things considered. Um, but we will, we will, here's the thing. Look, we will consider all things in this podcast. And I think, look, I'm, and I say this as someone who's not from a footballing camp. I said it's someone who's not an Arsenal fan. I think we need to start giving some credit for this season. So yeah, we'll get into this. But anyway, yes, admin first, of course. Right, Sounds went up Monday. It was a good one. It was you, Flo, the return of Jeanette Quache and Ian himself. And I talked about both FA Cup finals a little bit about the Premier League stuff. So that's up on Ringer FC now. Uh, you had a piece go up on the Ringer over the weekend about Holland, which is very good indeed. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Go and check that. Now, you also wrote a brilliant essay about Kendrick's album, which was on the New Statesman. Thank we you posted that from the Stadio account. So if you want to go and read that, go check it. Uh, it's very good indeed. Thanks very, very good indeed. Yeah, I got people like, people like, oh, why did you write it so quick? And I was like, because I was up at like 6am ready to like hear the first song. <laughs> um, other bits of admin, we hope, well, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Yeah. Yeah, we might have some news coming up, but we might use the, we, we need to send a mail out soon. So we might just do a more concise mail out and uh, do it through them first. So stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in and you'll get our newsletter as and when. Other than that, Stadio Archers play us on Spotify. All of the music we play out on each episode. The newest one is at the top. We've got a very, very uh, emotional, sad one today. I think we'll fit the mood of Arsenal fans. (laughs) 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 Or maybe not. Hertha fans as well. So today we're going to talk a bit about the Jake Daniels news, because I think that 
is super important. We'll talk a little bit about Newcastle's win over Arsenal mm. and the fallout from that. We've got some questions we'll, we'll, we'll tuck into and then we'll do a quick wrap up of some other stuff from the weekend that we didn't cover on Wright's House. So let's get into it. Let's do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, man. So the big news, Blackpool player Jake Daniels, 17 years old, became the first player in English men's professional football to come out as gay since Justin Fashionu in 1990. This was a coordinated thing with Sky. They broadcast an interview with him on Sky Sports News. And I think a lot of people deserve a huge amount of credit here. Mm. First of all, and I, I'm sure I speak for you, Musa, here as well, when I could just say, in hopefully the least patronising way possible, we're mega proud of Jake for doing yeah, this. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 17 years old, to take this kind of responsibility on his own shoulders and do this in the way that he did, I'm just full of admiration for him. And also, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm so, the, my, first, my first response to it was, isn't this amazing? And then the second thing was, I'm just genuinely so happy for him that mm. he feels like he can do this. And like he said, that thing when he told his family about it. Yeah. And then went out and just scored a load of goals in the next Four game. goals against Sackleton. Like three, yeah. you know. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also think that Sky deserve a huge amount of credit and the people who coordinated that interview because this didn't leak. Right. And it was handled so, the whole thing was handled so well. Yeah, yeah. Like that instills a hell of a lot of trust. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before. We talked about the Joss Cavallo stuff. Mm. And we've talked about how this just isn't really an issue in the women's game. It's just not, yeah. It doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. And I just feel that the men's game is really lacking something until it gets to that point as well where... It is, isn't it? Yeah. You shouldn't need to have guts or courage or be mega brave to come out as a player in the men's game because it should be normalised. Because your sexuality affects your ability to play football in zero fucking ways. Yes. It's absolutely, you know, perf perfectly put, perfectly put. And I, I'm just nodding and clicking like a spoken word gig. I'm just nodding and clicking. <laughs> My main concern is that he is okay because he's an extremely young guy. Mm. He's a teenager. Like, let's get real, like, no offence, but he's a baby. Yeah, you know, 17, he's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but he just came across as so mature and his thinking behind it and his explanation as to why he wanted to do it. And it was just like, yeah, this is genuinely just so great. And I think something that's needed and something that, uh, it's just, yeah, this is such a big deal because no one, no one does it. It's a huge deal. Do you know, you, you said it perfectly. So, Look, we're not saying anything new here. A lot of men have constructed their masculinity on the basis of, at least I'm not that. I can be anything in this world as a man, but at least I'm not that. 
you know, the stories I've heard about um, friends who've come out, various stories, some great, but also some horror stories, which is why what Jake Daniels has done is so important. For every Blackpool, for every supportive football club like that, and this is the thing, credit to Blackpool as well, because the stories about like him coming out to the captain and the captain being like, oh, this is great, like an interested, oh yeah, tell me more, like the stories about coming to other players and they're like almost shocked because they're like, why didn't you tell us earlier? That was like the mm -hmm. key reaction, which is really beautiful. And that shows what Blackpool's built. You know, Blackpool had a tough time over the last few years yeah. um, off the field, but on the field, first of all, they played some outstanding football, but also this is credit to them and the footballing community. We talk about community a lot and the need for it. And I think, so I want to celebrate this example of how they've handled this because this is immensely to their credit. Um, there'll be other dressing rooms that are not, not as welcoming as, as the Blackpool dressing room. Um, and that'll be something he will maybe have to navigate someone in his career, like, and not just a dressing room, but individuals, you know, influential individuals. And the problem is there's always been this with coming out in a football club. You could have acceptance in a huge part of the institution organization, but if there's some on the board of directors who is just opposed to your very humanity, some in the dressing room, if you've got um, a renegotiation of a contract coming up and there's a coaching, uh, member of the coaching staff doesn't like you, but these are all the things that can jeopardize a livelihood that was so hard to win in the first place. Yeah. But the incredible thing about what Jake Daniels did is the serenity with which he did mm. it, right? And, it, and it's so funny because I've talked to a lot of friends who've come out. Obviously, I, I've had to come up myself as bisexual. Like, yeah. I've had to talk to a lot of friends who've come out. And this is a thing that people talk about. The moment when you say it and you're ready and you're like, whatever challenges I face, I'm ready for them. And I just saw that in him, actually. It was really just a sense of like very measured, very much like this is my career, so I want to do. And this is funny because when I was playing football for Stonewall, which is obviously like, um, I think the first gay football club in the UK, um, which I think was founded actually in the early 90s as well, was playing for Stonewall. And they always said like, when someone came out, it would be someone who had done so and been out from like the youth football days, mm. which is kind of what he's done. And the beauty of this for him is it's now a question that's been answered. It's not a situation where it's like, oh, like three times, uh, FA Cup winner or like whatever, or like one time Champions League winner. It's not like that way. Like 28 year old has a secret he wants to share with the world. And the way that he's done this is the context and how you come out is so important. The context, because everyone talks about Justin Fashionu, right? And coming out and the way he did. Justin Fashionu went through so much, right? So many other things that contributed to making his experience miserable. And the primary ones that he came out in the atmosphere of scandal. And I, I had a thing when I, when I came out, I was like, I'm never going to use the G word. I'll be like, oh, I date men as well as women. I'll just be like, that. I'll date. And it was that way of like, I don't want to give people room to be like, oh my God, drama, drama. So I'm not going to give them that. And I think what I love about what he's done, what Blackpool have done, what Sky have done is they've created an atmosphere where they're like, if you have a problem with this, with someone living their life, with someone being true to themselves, this guy scored 29 goals in the youth team and he's been promoted to the first team. He's doing really well. We're really proud of him. If you have a problem with that, there's other sports you can watch, other teams you can watch, because it's not welcome here. It reminds me of the George Michael thing when he's talking about his sexuality and um, they say on TV, oh, like, but, but, but George, aren't you worried about like people who um, won't buy your music now? And he's like, I, I don't want those people to buy my music. Yeah. I don't like. want those people to, and that's the thing. We've said this the whole time, like Stadio, like we said this the whole time on Stadio, like football's for everyone. I'm so proud of Jake for doing this because he is at the very, very beginning of his professional career mm. and he has decided that 
yeah, actually, like, fuck this. Like, I want to be me. Like, this is me. And if you can't accept me, like, I'm not breaking any fucking law. No one's getting hurt. I'm just, I'm not attracted right. to women. And That's literally thing, it. Actually. I am and not attracted. Like, bear, bear, like, listen to the, like, I am not attracted to women. That is it. That's it. That's it. That's the That's crime. It. That's the crime. That's like, the crime. That is here. it. It's like, what are we all doing? Like, what are we doing? It's ridiculous. What are we doing? It's ridiculous. And, and there's anyone who push, pushes back on stuff like that, go away. I have, I have zero, I have zero tolerance for that anymore. Can I be honest with you? I think we've allowed, and this is the one thing I would be critical of. Maybe, um, I don't want to criticize progressive people for it. I think society as a whole, I think we have far too long allow people to debate people's humanity, actually. I think we far too often allow, oh my God, like you feel threatened by my attraction to that person, which has nothing to do with you. It's because it does have, in the sense that it makes them question themselves. Well, question yourself. Because I got a message last night about uh, Jake Daniels very very late last night while I was watching the um, uh, Newcastle Arsenal. And pain. We'll come to that. Yeah. And um, she was talking about uh, where she's living because there's a lot of talk about footballers boycotting games, unconfirmed reports about a footballer boycotting a game Mm. because he was uh, forced to wear a rainbow shirt. Well, not forced to wear, he was being asked to wear a rainbow shirt and he refused to wear it for the second year running. That's the kind of report, unconfirmed reports coming out. Now, and she said that the football in question was was kind of doing it under the banner of, of this, this is my religious faith, this, these are my beliefs, and how she was getting a lot of messages from friends of hers going, yeah, that's like freedom of expression, freedom of religion. Here's the thing, okay? And I say this is someone that grew up in the church. So I've had all the scripture quoted at me, you could imagine. And I've quoted a lot of it back, frankly. My faith tells me this, my faith, your faith tells you to do a lot of things, okay? <laughs> okay, buddy, your faith tells you to do a lot of things that you're not doing and that you now rightly consider as archaic. So what did you have to do in those cases? You had to go through your faith and work out what works in the modern context and what doesn't. You had to do that work because we all had to do that work. So people come to me and go, oh, my faith. Hey, yeah, okay, look, your faith is a thing that's under constant review. It's like case law. It's like the common law. It's under constant review. This thing's not set in stone because it's set in stone. We would still be in the seventh century. And I know there's a lot of people that would still like to be in the seventh century, but we're not there. We're not there. Okay. So I'm just saying that I'm addressing that to that particular contingent who are going to come with that because they're going to come with that. They'll be in the comment sections. They've always been there. They'll always be there. And I saw a stat, it was that 65% of people think that homosexuality, you know, is fine, has a place in sport. Homophobia has no place in sport. And it's that 35%. And here's the thing, that 35%, if you look across the country, you look across the world, that 35% is getting way too much hype, airtime and props and it's, it's savaging the planet. It's that backward thinking. It's that failure to adapt and be like, hang on a minute. Here is a human being trying to live their life. And because I'm insecure by that, I have to then go and kind of burn everything down. And that's, that's what we're seeing. And I, I, hate to, I hate to go off, but like every now and again, I sit and I think, really? I just echo your point, really. Like, what are we doing? And I, I hesitated yeah. almost to discuss this because I'm like, I really have so much time and respect for Jake Daniels. And part of me was like, oh my God, like I'm going to add one more voice to the clamor and there's just going to be so much noise around this. But hopefully if I can add a voice of support, then the clamor will be something which we can all collectively help to die faster to the point where when people step up and they start chanting this nonsense, people turn to me and be like, do you know what, right? You're on your own with that. No, no. Steward, excuse me, steward, there is someone here making this workplace hostile for that footballer. 
Can we remove them, please? And they can return to the comment sections whence they came. Sorry, yeah. that was a... <laughs> no, listen, I, I, I uh, we had a question from Fabian Goa. So, I mean, before we wrap up on this, yeah, because I know we've kind of meandered a little bit, but the core point is that football owes Jake Daniels for doing this. And I hope he gets all the support if and when he needs it. I think he will by the looks of it, because it looks like he's had a huge amount of support in this process already. And this kind of leads on to a question that we had from Fabian Goa, who said, what should fans be doing to fight homophobia in the men's game? And I think my initial response to that would just be, be vocal in normalizing homosexuality within sport. Just make it, almost make it less of a big deal, like deliberately so, just like, what are you doing? Like, don't, it's so, it's so ridiculous to me now, right? That it's almost, when, when you hear homophobia in football, it's almost like people want reaction. Like I've seen it online. Like someone went after Ian a few weeks ago about something and Ian just quote tweeted it with a picture and that, that all the guy wanted was a reaction. Mm. He deleted the account. And he deleted his account and fucking rightly so. That's all he wanted was the reaction. All he wanted to be visible in support for the LGBTQ community. Mm. Be visible at games like that. Show support, show solidarity, make it more normalized and just fucking like Everyone needs to do their bit, but also we've said this before. We said it through the Euros, I think, with the UEFA rainbow uh, flag display thing. Fans can do as much as they as they want or they can, and clubs can also. But unless you start seeing decision making at executive level in terms of certain countries being held account and not being awarded with literal tournaments, tournaments or clubs or whatever, yeah, 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 that has to change also. Because that's, that's super important, I think. Absolutely. And I just want to add this thing about um, what fans can do now on a, on a micro level, even in the WhatsApp groups, people are very nervous sometimes because, look, here's the thing. I haven't been heterosexual for 22 years. So I'm not sure people talk about in their completely heterosexual groups. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of chat flies around, like, you know, and there's, you'll have off-colour jokes, you'll have jokes, um, you know, and, and a lot of these chats, there'll be chats of a, of a bigoted nature and there might be stuff going around about, Jake Daniels or just ignorant stuff. I think that a lot of men underestimate, there's a great tweet I saw about this, a lot of men underestimate, and this I, I aim at men specifically because it is the male game that has a bigger problem than homophobia in the women's mm-hmm. game. A lot of men underestimate just how powerful their voice of dissent can be in a WhatsApp group where people are going on and like saying X, Y, Z, just saying, actually, I, I don't think he's hurting anyone. Or actually, I think that Jake Daniels is, yeah, good luck to him. Like even that, it doesn't have to be some big kind of like, oh man, screw your ignorance. It doesn't have to be that because these are your friends of several years or you don't need to be like all that, but you can just be like, frankly, actually, I, I don't understand why that's funny. I don't understand why it, you can go at that person or he's living his life. Aren't we all living our lives? You know, we've got enough on our plates. Why do we have to like bother that person? Like, you know, and I think it's that sort of level of, you know, you can call it resistance or just pushback because this stuff thrives. Um, this stuff thrives without opposition. I said this a thousand times. I said it in relation to racism. I said it in relation to homophobia. To someone who's ignorant or bigoted, silence is a standing ovation. Mm. Someone posts some ignorant comment in there or some hateful comment and you go, actually, nah, I didn't sign up. I'm, I'm your mate. It. I don't mate, but I don't, I'm your mate, but I don't sign up to that. That's not cool. Yeah, that's and th- those tiny bits of, and I know that sounds like a small thing. To, I wanted to put that in there because I think that a lot of men don't understand that that option is open to them. They're afraid of being frozen out of, of the peer group that is, you know, heterosexuality, that is like, you know, traditional or real, in quotes, masculinity. 
but you can, you can make tiny changes even today that will go a lot further than you think. So yeah. Diversity is fun. It's actually fun. It's just it's fucking actually fun. fun. The greatest con job people pulled was telling people that like, that wokeness was like, oh my God, this terrible. It's actually vibes. It's actually a vibe. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Props to Jay Daniels. Yes. Well done to the club and to the media around him who supported him through that. And we just hope this becomes more commonplace that players feel like they can come out freely and just live their lives like we all are trying to. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, the man. Let's go to St. James's Park. Newcastle beating Arsenal 2-0. And before we get onto the whole like, oh my God of the Arsenal stuff. We need to just praise Newcastle here because they were very, very, very impressive. I think it coincided with probably one of, if not Arsenal's worst performance of this season in the league. Very strange, very strange outing from them, I have to say. But I think Newcastle played a major role in doing so. I think they, they pressed Forced them off their game. extremely yep. effectively. The atmosphere was extremely raucous. And much like in the North London derby last, last week, it just really, really shifted Arsenal off their rhythm. I think Arsenal have struggled to have rhythm for a while now because they've, they've, they've also, they've almost been like clambering to get over the finish line. Mm. They need this season done, really, to be honest. And yeah. I think Spurs capitalised on that massively and I think Newcastle did the same. I mean, Newcastle flew out of the blocks at Arsenal and Arsenal were really under the cosh early on. But actually, when Arsenal came through that first 25 minutes, I thought they were doing okay. Yeah. It felt like that was a period that they had to navigate. No, that's right. Yeah. And once we, Arsenal got through that, I was a bit more like, well, get to half time, nil-nil, see how you go. And I actually think that the Callum Wilson goal came when Arsenal looked like they were actually the better team in the game. Slightly ascendant. Slightly ascendant. Yeah. 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 But Callum Wilson was a problem throughout his movement. I mean, he could almost argue he forced the own goal because... His movement in cutting. Yeah, sorry, to the it wasn't his goal, not his goal. Sorry, but his movement in cutting to the. Well, he, it's so funny because he celebrated his, his goal. His own. It was, yeah. I mean, it was his goal really, but it was an own goal. I think, it yeah. was because his movement in cutting to the near post was so threatening that Ben White basically was like, "I've got to intervene here." Yeah, and slice it to his own net. We've seen a few of those kinds of goals. They're like, they're just it's just a, it's a credit to the striker's movement, and he was you know he threatened um, quite a bit, and you know, he's a fine player, at Wilson. But yeah, having weathered that storm, I think maybe people underestimated the difficulty of this tie. Um, or this match, just because people looking at this game going, they should get three points there, haven't really been paying attention to what Newcastle have been doing since Eddie Howe took over. Or Arsenal. Now, now they've, well, yeah, they, well, they've made, look, Newcastle have made substantial acquisitions. That's, that's, that's for sure. And Bruno Gamarish is yeah. an extraordinary player. It was an amazing signing. And we said this at the start, like he was a brilliant signing. All that said, the speed at which um, Eddie Howe has brought things together has made Newcastle a much more 
a formidable proposition at home than they were a few months ago. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird, the Eddie Howe thing, because I think that, for example, I don't think he should be up for manager of the year. No, no. But I don't think he's, I don't think his, uh, their improvement is just down to the money. You seem to, no, right, people exactly. seem to be either yeah, or. Yeah. I think, I think in his first 24, so what is it, first eight games, mm. I think he got, he picked up five points from possible 24. And then I think through the window, from when the window opened in January onwards, they've racked up 35 from 54. And, and also that was they spent also, over 100 million euros in but January. that was also an underperforming team with the previous players. That was an underperforming exactly. team. Yeah. So this is the thing with Eddie, yeah. with Eddie Howe and Newcastle. I think that you would expect them to have taken a leap purely based on the players that they brought in in January for a start. Mm. But also... Eddie Howe, uh, I think, is a little bit more of a forward-thinking coach than Steve Bruce. I don't think yeah. that's a wildly hot take. The thing that Eddie Howe has done, I think, really well is he's fully understood the identity of these players, both individually and collectively, and he's harnessed that, which is why going to St. James's Park is now a really tough place to get a result. If Man City had to go to Newcastle and get a result one evening, penultimate game of the season, I think they would struggle actually, with them at this level I now. I mean, Liverpool weren't super, super fluid there a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, and that is a Liverpool side that is far superior to Arsenal. But I, yeah, I think, I think for, for Newcastle, a lot of people maybe thought that because they haven't really got much to play for now, it would have been done. But they had some stuff to juggle as well. The great thing is, like, you add Bruno Guimaraes into that midfield and it provides Newcastle with another element that allows the rest of that midfield to kind of click into gear a little bit more. Because... He takes such a the creative burden off everyone that even like yeah. Joel like Joel Linton being pushed back into midfield, we've said this before, like that was probably that was probably the tactical masterstroke from from Eddie Howe this season. Yeah. Also how effective the press is at Newcastle under Howe. Mm. I mean they were they were really, really impressive at doing that against Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that was actually the thing I thought, wow, wow, I don't think Arsenal are really set up for this. But also you you just could see how Arsenal have been creaking for <laughs> quite a while and we'll talk about Arsenal in a little bit because I think that you want to give Newcastle first in terms well, of the coaching yeah because they won the game yeah let's take a couple of questions on Newcastle yeah One sure 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 honorary lifelong study of president sedentary Gary yes what do you think is a realistic expectation for Newcastle next season much depends on their business during the summer but do you think they are capable of finishing finishing in the top seven uh, uh, we had to spend a lot of money to get in the top seven. I, I think they're capable, but I wouldn't expect, you know. That initial jump is the easy one to make. Mm, yeah. It's new. It's the good times on the pitch, you know, yeah. new players, new coach. Wow. We've got a marquee signing in Bruno. It's then when the expectation kicks in, mm. that's when it starts to shift a little bit and I think that's going to be tricky for them to, I, I would see the, I could see them qualifying for Europe yes yes the challenge is that you are getting people's best once you spend all that money Newcastle aren't doing that yet Newcastle aren't yet getting people coming at them going you're Newcastle you're the richest club in the world in terms of the assets now because of how you're supported and that's going to be interesting change when people start coming with that intensity they come at you know City and Liverpool and this is what you know it's I think Michael Jordan um, in the NBA was talking about this. If you're Michael Jordan, you get everybody's best game. Mm. If you're the, the team to beat. So it's how Newcastle adapt to that. And also as well, like top seven, 
bear in mind the other clubs in the Premier League who are going to be staffing up, skilling up. You'll have Brighton with their new striker, Dennis Undav. You'll have um, West Ham will hopefully recruit. They need some more forwards. I would say one or two more forwards. Uh, Leicester as well might have a resurgence. So there's teams in and around that top seven. That's a tough thing to break into. And the coaches are also, you know, of a very high level. They're all like, you know, those coaches in the top seven all understand the identity of their players. And if Wolves, if Wolves make a couple of like smart signings, they jump again. So it's, it's going to be really tough to get into that, that seven, I think. It's tricky. Next season, it's going to normalise a little bit mm, in yeah. terms of where they're going to be at, I think, for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think, it's, I think in the early stages of projects like this, it, it can be quite hard to, to really pinpoint a trajectory because some people just never hit that, never break into that. Mm, and some yeah. people do after, and it t- takes a while. Newcastle has spent money much better out the gate than City did. A lot of people, I think, didn't want to go to Newcastle because the heat on them with the new ownership. Um, and I think over time that subsides and there's going to be people waiting and going, actually, maybe in two years I'll go there. But they, within a couple of years, I can see Newcastle getting a player who, maybe not necessarily from the UK, but who generally we look at and go, my God, like that is a statement of intent. They're looking for that signing. The one thing I'll say is they've, the signing of someone like Bruno Gamarish, I saw that and thought, that's super smart. That's, like, that's well, a super uh, Ravind- smart signing to make that early. In well, Ravinda yeah. Clare asked, how good is Gamarish? I can't remember the last time we had a player of his quality at Newcastle. And then followed up saying, PS, sorry, Ryan. It's fine. <laughs> I have to apologise. Actually, that's, this is a theme. This is becoming a theme. A Don't apologise to me. Well, a lot of people ask if I'm okay. And I nearly wrote, I'm fine. Are you all okay? Is the problem. Don't project onto me. <laughs> like, I'm fine. <laughs> I know, I don't know. No one ever asks, can I say, like, no one actually, no one asks, you know, United get absolute, we got absolute, where, where, where were the messages when Brighton, where was Gondor? When the messages came, when Brighton absolutely gave United an absolute hiding the other day, I didn't get any messages in the inbox. It's because I'm the empathetic one. That's true, actually. That's true. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> anyway, answer yeah, the question is a, uh, a wonderful footballer who would grace, I genuinely believe he would grace any squad yeah. in the world. I think if he went to Madrid tomorrow, if he went to Real tomorrow, he'd be an excellent um, person to come in. He'd be a squad player. Yeah, but he could come in for Kroos, for sure. I think, you know, Chelsea could have done with a player like Gamarish, actually. I think that there's a kind of a missing Gamarish type player in their midfield configuration, I think. I do think also, though, players like that, when they go to a club, mm. somewhere like a Newcastle, which is... On the you're, way instantly up. Gonna yep. be, you're instantly yep. going to be a hero there. Mm. It can free the expectations a little bit. If they go to a city, Liverpool, Real Madrid, I think the expectations are so different mm. that I'm I keep, not sure I, they're entirely the same player if they go there. I keep instantly. telling that story. I might say it a thousand times this podcast, but I'll say it again. It's the um, when Van Nistelrooy gets into the national team yeah. the first time. Yeah. And like he sees like a Davis at lunch and Davids is like, oh, great, amazing. You're scoring these goals. And it's like, yeah, amazing. Do that, for, yeah. do that for 10 years. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. And, and Van Nistelrooy is just like, oh my God, like it's almost impossible to maintain that for one season, let alone 10. But that's what the very best players do. Yeah. Let's switch it to an Arsenal point of view because, uh, yeah. well, yeah. well Neef York, Neef said, no question, just loving thoughts for Ryan. Thanks, Neef. Oh. Mo says, will Arsenal fans ever find happiness? Now, this. To, this is something that we need to touch on because I think from an Arsenal point of view, you're always going to, you're, you're going to feel so disappointed after you had Champions League qualification in your own hands and then you failed to get it over the line. Like 
it's going to feel really, really crushing. But also, I've seen a lot this season of people complaining about how certain players within this Arsenal side aren't good enough to get you into the Champions League. So therefore, when those players don't make it into the Champions League, I can't see how the same people could say that that is an, an actual, like an absolute failure. Mm. Can I be honest? A lot of this stuff is, a lot of the outrage is performative on social media because it's, mm. a, it's a take industry. I've been watching a lot of NBA playoffs and they've had like an NBA player on going on and like criticizing the players who are still in the playoffs. And they've used that one set of interviews to create another week's worth of content. Yeah. Another week, like it's, it's, it's a content industry. And so sometimes all that comment and all that outrage, it clouds what is actually being done right at the club in a managerial sense. And like, if I've got one criticism of Arteta, it's not turning enough uh, losses into draws. That's, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to criticize agree. him. I'm not going to criticize Arteta for the amount of games he's won. This man has won 21 games in the Premier League out of 37 games. 21 games out of 37. That is outstanding. If you look at the squad that he brought in, the moves he had to make, some might say he got rid of that player. He shouldn't have. We do not know how corrosive those players in their current mood were for dressing room morale. And I'm not even criticising those players that left because sometimes you get to the end of a natural cycle. You get frustrated. You get to a club which is not developing as fast as you wanted. You're thinking, I've got three years left at the top and this club is five years from being where I want it to be. I get that frustration. I still defend Arteta because I think that he did what he had to do. I just think that if you look at like those 13, the fact they've only drawn three games, Arsenal, and they've lost 13. Yep. That's where I'm critical. Yep, and I, want, I agree. And I'm sure Arteta will go back to all the game film and all the tape and be like, do you know what? I could have brought on a defence midfielder there. Yeah. Or I could have actually, do you know what? If I look back, maybe a summer, maybe I could have kept that player in the squad that last summer, like a Torreira, for example, for example. And maybe, you know, not to, but as a manager, the thing I like about Arteta is, he learns, he develops. You have seen evolution. And Arsenal fans looking, going, oh my goodness, it's all despair. Hang on a minute. This oh, is not. a Europa League team. Arsenal yeah. are a Europa League team. And they're only a Europa League team because, because Spurs got Conte. And when Spurs got Conte and brought in Kulisevsky and Bentancourt and those signings worked immediately, that elevated them to a Champions League team. And I think that it would have been lovely for Arsenal if they'd got into the Champions League because Champions League football attracts different levels of signing. But fundamentally, it's still Arsenal. And the Europa League, frankly, has done itself immense credit. If you look at that tournament and how that tournament's been conducted this year, those are not clowns in the final. And teams that treated that tournament with disrespect, they got turfed out. They got bounced out with a quickness. So for Arsenal to be in the Europa League with this team, and it's not, it's not even that it's young. I look at that Arsenal starting eleven. I think to myself, what have they won at senior level? What sustained campaigns have they been on? What championship runs? What title races have they been in? These people are not battle-hardened. It's not their fault. It's because it's the transition of a squad. So people come at Arsenal, it's, it's easy. It's very easy to laugh at Arsenal. And we saw, we've seen pundits slip into that territory. I won't name names, but Granit Xhaka came out after the game, was very upset. He was hurting, didn't have the best game himself. And he was talking about, um, you know, the, turning in a bad performance. Look, they've just been, absolutely like, you know, swept aside in North London derby and they've gone to Newcastle, they've tried to reset, they've gone there and the same performance has befallen them again. They've been swept away again. And of course, at this point, Arsenal players are questioning their own mentality. Chaka came out to criticise the dressing room. He didn't name names though. At the end of the day, he didn't name names. People can look at the game film of they actually, 
granite, you sliced a couple of things you shouldn't have sliced. You could have cleared that maybe for the second goal, like you're accountable and he has to own that. But here's the thing, ultimately, this was someone speaking from a place of hurt. And I saw that thought to myself, you know what? I don't like everything you said in your interview, but I liked the fact that you love playing for Arsenal as much as like Paolo Dybala playing for Juventus, going off crying because it's his last game. He's weeping. I was like, I was going to check anything. This man loves Arsenal. And that counts for a lot. Like that's going to count for a lot in the, the rebuild that Arsenal's continuing. It's going to count for a lot in the off season. And they turn up and, and, and Arteta's going, do you know what? A lot of people are laughing at us. They bo- bottled it. We've got new players in. We've got a structure. We've got a full summer. Let's go at this and do something really exciting next year. Because this Arsenal team to me is only really, I think the club is only maybe 50% where it should be. I think this squad has been coached actually to pretty much almost the edge of its potential. I actually think he's coaching pretty well. And I do think that Arteta with a couple of good signings can find the extra 20%. I think he's that good. Anyway, sorry, off my soapbox because I, I just, I just, I just watch everything you say. I think I just watch and I get frustrated. Yeah. I just feel that like, this isn't FIFA, this isn't football manager, this isn't, mm. this is real. And yeah. I think if you've seen Arteta's career as, a, as an Arsenal manager so far, it's been full of phases. And I mm. think this is just another phase. Like Arsenal finished eighth in the Premier League last year and are comfortably fifth. Yeah. And they've drawn the fewest games. They've drawn the fewest games in the Premier League. I agree that there is still work to be done. And I agree that Arteta still could have done a bit of a better job in certain instances this season. The draw thing is something I absolutely agree with. I think coming from behind after conceding first, just to salvage a few more draws would have... I mean, there are so many ifs and buts that could have seen Arsenal over the line this season. Hmm. And yet, fifth is kind of above where a lot of people tipped them to be at the beginning of the season. And remember, this is a side that was bottom of the league in September. Yeah. A lot of people are saying it's a failure not to f- qualify for the Champions League. No, a season's 38 games. Arsenal's running was way trickier than, than I think a lot of people were giving it credit for. Like those, that trip to Spurs and the trip to Newcastle at that point in the season, with the context of how struggling that squad was, you know, if, if Arsenal hadn't lost... Tierney and Partey, they still get over the line, I think. I think so and that, too. And, and that, and I think that shows quite how far ahead of schedule this has been this season. And I think that's tricked people into thinking that Arsenal are a Champions League level side at the moment. They're not. They're a Europa League level side. And I think that the Europa League for Arsenal actually brings with it quite a number of benefits that Arsenal needed this season. For example, yeah. there were very few chances to give minutes to younger players this season. And I think that created some depth issues because you, they weren't, as you mentioned, battle-ready or battle-hardened. Yeah. Early group stages in the Europa League, you know, depending on how kind the draw is, that can give you a really good opportunity to A, rest some senior players and also embed some younger players into the squad so that it's less, less of a shock to the system when they have to feature. That was something that Arsenal really didn't have this season. When they did try it, it was like away at Nottingham Forest and you get knocked out of the cup. As we've now seen, Nottingham Forest could be in the Premier League next season. That isn't a... The performance was bad, but yeah. the result isn't a, isn't a shocker at that stage. The thing that is Champions League level about Arsenal is the likes or the engagement that people know their fucking tweets will get. 
Yeah, when you go after them. I wasn't actually going to write anything on Twitter after the game. Mm. And I was scrolling through a little bit. And honestly, Musa, I've, I genuinely saw some of the worst football tweets I've ever seen. But they kind of know that Arsenal just generate that interaction. And honestly, mm. at one point, I, I was like, I texted you, didn't I, saying, I didn't know that the Invincibles had just failed to secure top four. Yes, yes. You know, people know that it's going to generate so much in interaction and so much response and so much reaction, mm. which is really strange considering that this is a club who hasn't qualified for the Champions League since 2016. Even with this, I can still see the direction of travel and I Very can still, so. I can still so. see where they can improve and I can still see where they can do better. The draws, the, the draws thing, I think is such a great point. They've won more games in the Premier League than Chelsea, than Chelsea. Even with that, that's the thing. Like, even if, Ars if Arsenal had got into the Champions League this season, it would have been amazing, 100%. But I genuinely think it would have been like, put it this wow, way. how the hell have Arsenal gone to the Champions League already? Put it this way, put it this way. If someone had said to you at the start of the season, just after defeat to Brentford, which I always, always, sorry, I'm going to, yeah. not many of my takes come, you know, I know I've thrown out some chaotic takes, but that one I think was accurate. If you said to Arsenal fans after the Brentford defeat, by the way, you're going to win more Premier League games this season than Chelsea. Most people have been like, get the hell out of get here. Get the fuck like, out of here. What get, are you talking get out, about? Get out of this yeah, multiverse. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. 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 And exactly. Yes, yes, stuff changes through the season. We know that. But actually, it hasn't changed enough for Arsenal to feel like they had Champions League on lock. Can I be very reductive? They've got a goal difference of plus nine. They need more goals. They've got a goal difference of plus nine. Yeah. They have no business. A team that has a goal difference of plus nine actually has almost no business being that close to a Champions League spot. That is extraordinary. Don't get me wrong. This isn't like, we're not, we're not, we're not like. I am a little know, bit. Not, I am. I am. You are. I'm not. Because I, I think, because I think that, I think honestly, you know, Arsenal still could have qualified for the Champions League with this amount of points. I don't, there, there is so much that goes into it than, than is just your own performance. Also, like if an, Nor Norwich might, Norwich might do some wildness on the last well, day. Well, I, I mean, you never know. I, I don't you think that will know. happen. But I, honestly, when everyone calms down and steps back a little bit, mm. I think fifth this season. Fifth is, fifth is really good, I think. I think fifth is It really was good. a bit all over the place, but at the end of the day, I think that is a good season. I think Marteta. so. I think so. I think, I think it really could strong. have been better for sure. But I think overall, you know, I mean, what, would, what grade would you give him? Put it that way. B plus, I reckon. I was going to say B. So, yeah. All good. Uh, shall we alright quickly let's wrap up some other stuff so oh the Bundesliga final day oh yes my God. the big oh. headline there is shout out to Union Berlin for qualifying for the Europa League in fifth place that's an incredible achievement Freiburg in sixth Europa League as well uh, huge drama Stuttgart got a last minute winner to keep them up against Köln who've been superbly coached this year can I just say some, some I know there's been a lot of coaching changes in the Bundesliga and some of those have underperformed Adi Hütter's out at Gladbach, mm. which is a real shame because I wish that worked better. But there's been some outstanding coaching in the Bundesliga this year, which has gone slightly under the radar. I mean, so Anne over at Leverkusen, for example, getting to third place. So yeah, big excitement in the Bundesliga. Dortmund beating Hertha Berlin 2-1. So Hertha now have to go into the relegation playoff. Against Haasfau. Against Haasfau Hamburg to have a chance of staying up. So yeah, two kind of, well, two big clubs, basically. Slugging it out. Freiburg were... Almost there, they were a goal away and then Leipzig scored and it didn't really matter, but still from the Champions League, but then Freiburg- To even be in the conversation. The conference League. Yeah. 
which I think is a good fit for them. Amazing. Yeah, amazing season there. And this uh, it's the German Cup final this weekend, Freiburg against Leipzig. They could come up, it's, it's Freiburg's first ever cup final. It's been an awesome. amazing season for them. The job Christian strikes done is unbelievable. Extraordinary, yeah, yeah. Do you want to give us a quick wrap up of some Serie, Serie A stuff? Yeah, very quickly. I mean, the main the main excitement in Serie A is the top of their division. So the big news is um, Inter and Milan going into the last game. Milan two points ahead of uh, Inter. Inter got a very impressive three one win at Cagliari, and Cagliari has been a place where empires go to die. Um, but they've been. They were brilliant. Uh, Lautaro Martinez is exceptional this year. Into He's got 20 goals, 21 goals, I think now in Serie A. He's been superb for them and really stepped up in the absence of Lukaku. Crucial for them. And then Milan with one of the goals of the season, given the context. They're 1-0 up uh, with about 20 minutes to go and Teo Hernandez picks up the ball on the edge of his own area his against so Atalanta, good. no less. Atalanta. So bear in mind that Milan's last two games were sort of uh, Atalanta and Sassuolo. Those are not easy games by any stretch. Teo Hernandez picks up the ball 20 minutes to go and just goes on a journey. And I'm chilled even thinking, I'm chilling, I'm in chills even thinking about it. Like this run that he makes, he beats four or five players and the best reaction when he hammers it in the bottom corner is Rafael Liao, who again just has his hands on his head in just disbelief. Like he cannot, he cannot believe what he's just witnessed. And the celebration is incredible. Teo Hernandez puts his arms out like, um, Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Yeah. I rewatched that the other day. <laughs> so yeah, um, going to the last game, Inter have to win their last game against, is it Sampdoria? Yeah, at home. Milan got sus, right? Yep. Uh, in other sort of small news, uh, well not small news, big news, Lorenzo Insigne played his last game for Napoli. They mm-hmm. beat Genoa 3-0 and he scored a, um, a penalty. Yeah, a retaken penalty. Uh, they won three nil. A very emotional goodbye for him, and in that, in scoring that goal, he overtook Marek Hamzik, um in the goal scoring tables for Napoli. So that's quite oh, poignant. Yeah. But yeah, so emotional and exciting times in Serie A. Yeah, um, just very quickly in Liga, there's a Champions League race. Monaco, Marseille, and Rennes all fighting for the two Champions League spots. Uh, nice lost on the weekend at home to Lille in the Galtier Derby, which was a really bad result for them because it meant that they can no longer qualify for the Champions League and then at the moment they're not even in the European spots shame because they started the season quite well actually Real yeah shame. they did they really did um, but Monaco are currently second they go to Lens on the weekend Lille host Rennes Marseille host Strasbourg who are just a couple of points below them as well fighting for European qualifications so I <laughs> Could be a lot of league and drama on the last day of the season. Yeah, yeah. That league is feisty, for sure. Yeah. Coming up this week, we've got Europa League final. So Stadio, Thursday Stadio will be about the Europa League and we'll touch on uh, maybe the Southampton-Liverpool game if we need to. And then next week, it's going to be interesting because there's Women's Champions League final on the weekend. There's the final day of all the, the season. So maybe we'll do the men's season's on Stadio and then we'll do Women's Champions League on Wright's house maybe do the final that that'd be maybe vibe, some yeah. talk we'll see but um, I reckon that'll do us for today all good yeah should bounce let's do it let's bounce alright let's get out of here we hope everyone's staying safe staying well don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer check Wright's house if you hadn't already Stadio will be back on Thursday uh, also check Stadio.football score to the bottom pop your email address in 
newsletter will come out soon. It's a bit late this one, but sorry. We've been busy. Stanley Watch was placed on Spotify. Speaking of which, I mean, you know, I think Arsenal fans need something very somber. So uh, we're going to play out on Bedhead's cover version of Golden Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> nothing further. Nothing further. <laughs> Much love, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. <laughs> Never a